Let me pray again as we get into this passage. Dear Lord, as we reflect on your word now, I pray that I might speak faithfully to it, that we might see your holiness and goodness and grace. Amen. Every now and again, I go to a Christian wedding where the bride and the groom have chosen this passage uh, to be spoken on by the minister. And on one level, I admire and appreciate their commitment to proclaiming the whole word of God. Uh, On the other hand, I do feel a little bit for the preacher, and particularly if the preacher is me. Because a few minutes earlier, everyone walks into the church and there's this sense of joyful anticipation. You know, lots of smiles, lots of everyone, you know, making those appropriate, you know, ooing, you know, noises as the the bride, you know, enters the church. There's always someone with an oversized iPad uh, taking a few photos in the middle. It's It's a beautiful picture. And then we have a reading like Ephesians 5, or this reading in Ephesians 5, and then all of a sudden you have grown men squirming in their seats, slightly afraid to look to the left or the right. The ladies, or at least some of the ladies, have a body language and a posture that is perhaps more fight than flight. And a few are even considering just how hard could you throw the hymn book without completely messing your hair. But more seriously... There will be some people who will sit there and they will say to themselves, this is exactly why I don't like church. It's just another example of how men are trying to use religion to perpetuate an outdated male domineering social construct. So they hear that first line, wives submit to your husband, and that's the last thing they hear. Uh, At best, it's a serious uh, out of step uh, with our modern Western progressive culture and at worst, it sows the seed for future abuse. And so before we get into this passage, let me at least say something briefly about abuse of power. Uh, It is completely repugnant uh, to think that someone would try to use God's word to spiritually coerce their husband or wife, or to justify abuse in any form. Uh, No reasonable person uh, would read this whole passage in context and take the words of love your wife as yourself and conclude that that is permission, excuse me, for abuse. Uh, But if that does happen, then our encouragement should always be that people seek safety and they should separate and the issues should be dealt with. But it is tragic, isn't it, that a passage that is primarily about husbands sacrificing themselves for their wives and loving their wives needs to come with a warning label attached because it's been so misused and so abused. But that's what sin does. It takes good things and it twists it to justify something that is evil. And simply because something can be misused and abused doesn't mean it's all wrong. Every day people misuse cars, um, but we haven't concluded that all cars should be banned. And it's the same with, with our marriages. Yes, there are bad examples of marriage, but God has created a good thing, and let's see how he's created it to be good. And certainly as a society, as we've abandoned perhaps our Christian worldview, including our view of sex and marriage, it hasn't made things better. 
Uh, there are certainly more freedoms, but sadly, women are not safer. Our families are not more stable. And across the board, our children are more anxious, depressed and medicated than any generation before them. So let's have a look at this passage together carefully, uh, not just hearing the word submit, but also hearing love and sacrifice and pure and blameless and united. Uh, because they're all words that we long for as Christians in our marriages, but it's also what we long for in our church, that we will be the united body of Christ. So let's begin, if you're following in your Bible, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So right up front we see our motivation for why we should submit to one another, and it's actually not primarily about the other person, although we'll get to the other person soon enough. But it starts with recognising God and having a reverence for God. The way we relate with our wife, the way we relate with our husband, will be an expression of our worship of God, that we honour him by being obedient to the way he calls us to live in relationship with one another. Uh, secondly, submission in the context of husbands and wives is not the same as obedience. So as we continue to read uh, in Ephesians in chapter 6, it'll talk about children and they're told to obey their parents. Uh, but the word itself is actually a different word. So obedience perhaps carries the idea of obligation. Uh, so presuming the request is legal in your work, you must obey your boss and if you don't obey your boss, then you end up getting sacked. Uh, in a in this passage, with submission, the emphasis is perhaps less on compliance and more on respect. And so we see that sort of language picked up at the end of this passage in the NIV where he says, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So you can't force someone to respect another person any more than you can force someone to love another person. It must be self-chosen. And here the emphasis is on getting our own house in order. So in the words of Jesus, let's focus more on the log in our own eye than trying to pick at the specks in someone else's. So less finger-pointing and more self-reflecting. So as we get into our passage, some people read this idea of submit to one another to mean that husbands and wives have the same role in the family and each is called to mutually submit to the other. And the emphasis there for them is on the one another. And certainly that is culturally a more palatable reading. However, it doesn't really stand up well in the context of the passage. So verse 23, for the husband is the, is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. So, uh, some will read this passage and conclude husbands and wives are equal before God in terms of saved by grace. We've all been created in the image of God and they have the same role in leading the family. And most often uh, people talk about that as an egalitarian view of family. Uh, others, and this is where I sit, uh, read this passage and conclude that husbands and wives are both equal before God, again, uh, created in the image of God, saved by the same grace, but we have different roles in the family. And the husband's role is to lead the family and the wife's role is to allow him to lead the family. 
And in terms of language, it's often called a complementarian view. And so each person brings something unique to the family, not just in terms of personality, but actually there's some, something unique about being male and female that comes into our marriage together. And if we want the ultimate example of what equal but different looks like, then we look to Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not seek to be the same as his father. And so he chooses to willingly submit to the will of his father. So in our passage today, we read from Ephesians, but let me read now from the book of Matthew. And this is in Gethsemane, he is about to face the cross. And he says, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So if wives are called to submit to husbands, well, what about the husband? Uh, Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if submission is a willingness to respect someone's leadership, then sacrifice is about leading others for their good and for their godliness. In the same way, that Christ has sacrificed himself for the church. And what does Christ want for his church? Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So the cleansing by washing here most likely isn't referring to baptism. It's the language of, a, of the Jewish custom of you know, preparing a bride for her wedding day and, and you know, doing all the, the washing things and coming you know, before her future husband looking beautiful. And, and that's a description of what Christ wants for us. So our natural state before God is that we are sinners, uh, but through Christ we are presented as pure and blameless because God's word has convicted us that Jesus really is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sin and the Holy Spirit has convicted us to turn away from our sin and to turn back to Christ, to recognise not him as Saviour but to recognise him as Lord. And so just as Christ presents us as pure and blameless before the Father, Husbands are called to do everything in their power to represent or to present their wife as pure and blameless before Christ. So Christian headship isn't about desiring power or using power to control. It's about leading and serving for the sake of our wives. It's a power that's characterised by self-sacrifice and a commitment to lift our wife up. And our wives should feel stronger and more confident for having us around. And And submission is the willingness to allow our husband to serve us and to act for our good. And so just as Christ cared for his body, the church, husbands are called to love their wives in the same way that they love their own bodies. And the unity that's shared by a husband and a wife becomes a living metaphor for what it should look like for the church, that two people complementing one another for the sake of one another and for their godliness. And so verse 31, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. 
Being one flesh doesn't diminish the uniqueness of each person, but it does express our unity together and the intimacy uh, that we share together. So if we understand God's good design for marriage, then we start to understand God's good design for our church. Uh, It's not about institutions and programs. It's not about a time and a place. It's about deeply personal relationships, Uh, starting with our relationship with God, but then our relationships with one another. And out of that submission to Christ, there's each part of the body doing their bit to build us up together. The difficulty is that so often our experience of church and our experience of marriage doesn't live up to that exalted picture, does it? And that shouldn't be too surprising. Because we are forgiven in Christ, but we still sin. We still live with the temptation of sin. And the problem, of course, is all of us. You know, we all make mistakes and errors of judgment. Um, but even worse, we're all selfish. Uh, we're all given to temptation. We all become jealous and angry and intolerant and impatient and ungracious and vindictive and envious. And we could just continue the list, couldn't we? Uh, there are so many ways that we sin And though that sin permeates not just into ourselves, but it permeates into relationships around us. And I think at times the temptation with sin is just to give in. You know, you kind of think, I've sinned yesterday, I've sinned the day before, you know, things will never change. Uh, But the solution cannot be to give up. Uh, We are still marred by sin, but we do also have the Holy Spirit. And we do each day have a new opportunity to wake up and say, how do I lift my eyes and fix them on Christ? And how do we pray for strength and pray that God's Spirit might help us today to honour him uh, in everything we do, but including in our marriages? So what does it look like for a husband to be the head of the family and for a wife to submit to her husband? I think this is where it perhaps gets even more fraught if we weren't already there But starting with husbands, I think a question we need to ask ask ourselves is how can I lead my family so we will grow together in our love and obedience to Christ? And if our wives are called to respect their husbands, their men, uh, we want to be people who are worthy of respect, uh, that we are godly role models to our wives, to our children, uh, that we should lead our families in Christ as we pray together, as we read the Bible together, as we just talk about life together through that lens of what it means to be a Christian. I think one of the, the great joys of our family, my kids are getting a little bit older now, so we've got a 21-year-old in WA, a 19-year-old and a year 12. And one of the joys as they get older is just how that conversation shifts and how, you know, just a simple pleasure of sitting around the dinner table or on the phone these days and just talking about life, but talking about life as what what does it look like for us to be Christians together? And part of my role has always been from the time they were little uh, to now as they're getting a bit older, how do I lead that conversation in our family? And it's not that others, not that everyone in our family can't be part of it or even start it, but how do I lead it? And then on top of all of those things, you know, we think about things like our commitment to church or our priorities as a family or how we spend our money together. And all of it should point my family, should point my kids to what does it mean to honour Christ. As husbands, we should encourage and affirm our wives and our wives should feel completely confident that we are for them. 
We should be reminding them that they are created in the image of God, that they are loved by God but also by us. Uh, We should encourage thankfulness and contentment. And when our wives sin against us, they should be confident that we will show them the same grace that Christ has shown us. Wives, uh, where you're called uh, to respect your husband in his role as the head of the family and to take pleasure in supporting your husband, in affirming his choices when he gets it right and not belittling him when he gets it wrong. And when he sins against you, you should show him the same grace that Christ has shown you. And headship is more than decision-making, but decisions are part of life. But part of that is recognising that good leadership will always look for the good and the godliness of the other person. It respects the other person's gifts and it respects their uh, skill and capacity and perspective. Uh, and equally, as we, you know, if you're coming from the position of, of a wife, how do you have those conversations? How do you have those debates in a way that's constructive and builds up rather than tears down? Uh, debate is good, um, but there is good debate and there is bad debate. And how do we have God honouring debate in our relationships? And that sort of mutual honouring, that should be true whatever our view of our family unit, whether you have an egalitarian view or a complementarian view. It should all be about how do we honour one another. I think our culture has set us against one another, that's a battle of the sexes and that sort of thing, rather than recognising us as a complement to one another. And then part of being a leader is being responsible for decisions. But that's not the same as making the decisions. And if we do have two different options, then I think good leadership, of course, in any situation, it's not just a marriage, tries to work out what's something that is mutually beneficial. But if we can't work out what is mutually beneficial, then we have to come back to that question of what is the good and the godly decision for the sake of my wife? And for, if our wives want to make those decisions and as husbands, how do we support them in those decisions? And how do we do everything in our power to, make, or to prove them right in that decision? And equally, wives, how do you support your husbands in their decisions? As a final word, uh, sacrifice and submission, we often feel, again, culturally, that it's a conditional. I'll do the right thing if you do the right thing by me. Uh, But that's not the Christian view. Uh, Husbands are called to sacrifice for their wives, to lead their wives, whether or not uh, their wives are willing to submit. And equally, wives are called to submit to their husbands, whether or not their husbands lead well and sacrifice for them. But it shouldn't be that way, should it? You know, if there are things in our life where we've got into patterns of relating and patterns of behaviour that are unhelpful, that are ungodly, uh, then for us we might need to recognise that and repent. Uh, for others it might be others recognising it in themselves and being willing to forgive. Uh, it might be that we do need help, that we need to go and talk to someone. But whatever it is, it's just not too late to, for things to be different. 
I think I'm up to, what, about 23 years of marriage. Uh, you know, the temptation is to go, well, we've sort of gotten to a pattern of life together and, you know, things never change and I am who I am and my wife is who she is. And there's lots of good things about that, but, you know, we've all got our own idiosyncrasies. And it's easy to go, well, it's just the way it is. But it doesn't have to be that way. That we can choose to make different choices and to think through, well, what would it look like going forward to do a better job of leading my family? Or what would it look like for a wife to do a better job of respecting her husband? You know, when we look at a wedding photo, uh, particularly you know, anything on social media, it's always the curated version. I found this picture. It's the most insipid one I could find. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, they're all beautiful, but, but they're all, everything's perfect, Right. And there's kind of this expectation that that's what it's going to look like, not just on the wedding day, but for every other day after. And I think as we look at that, we recognise that that is often not true. And certainly for our culture, again, there's this expectation that's that's sort of moved uh, to something that is just completely unrealistic. And so we go, well, if the, wedding, if the marriage doesn't live up to the wedding day, or if you know, he no longer satisfies me the way that I, I hope to be satisfied, or if I no longer feel the love, then culturally we say, then why bother? Why persevere? Why not just clear the slate and start again? Uh, that's our cultural context. Uh, but Christian marriage starts from a different place. It starts with a desire to see God glorified and it takes our promises before God seriously uh, that we will are committed to this relationship in the good and the bad, in the sickness and health, for richer and for poorer. And it recognises that each person does have something unique to contribute to the marriage and each person has a unique role and that's actually a good thing. And marriages truly thrive when each looks to the good and the godliness of the other. Yeah, marriage is a wonderful blessing from God. And my prayer is that the way we approach our marriage will be a wonderful, fragrant offering to God. That'll be an expression of our worship and our commitment to Christ. And even though our culture might ridicule the way we approach relationships and marriage and roles, I pray that the proof of God's wisdom will be in our example and that through our marriages and the way we relate with one another that people will see Christ. So let me pray that that might be true. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your grace and mercy to us that you save us through your son. We thank you that in your wisdom uh, that you created marriage and that you show us how to live in a marriage, live in marriage, in a way that truly works. And so, Lord, help each of us to recognise how we might look out for the good and the godliness of the other, that we might build one another up, and that our commitment to one another might be a reflection of your goodness to us, and that people might see that and see your grace behind it. Amen.